Thank you to HarperCollins Kingdom Girls Bible for sponsoring the podcast. Looking for a Bible to encourage the girl in your life? The NIV Kingdom Girls Bible is a beautiful new Bible that will inspire girls ages 8 to 12. It contains 400 features and colorful illustrations and highlights famous and sometimes infamous women of the Bible. Special notes will encourage girls to apply Bible passages to their lives through prayer, art, and activities. Go to NIVKingdomGirlsBible.com for a free sample and to learn more about this amazing Bible. Visit NIVKingdomGirlsBible.com today. homeschool sanity, welcome. I'm Dr. Melanie Wilson, Christian psychologist turned homeschool mom and curriculum author. But I was once so disorganized, I thought I had to quit homeschooling and stop having kids. Now, by the grace of God, I have six homeschool graduates. Whether we're discussing parenting, productivity, or practical tips, pray that this episode is just what you need for happy, healthy homeschooling. Hey homeschoolers, you've been there. You've blown it with your kids. Maybe you lost your temper or disciplined in a way that you're not proud of. In this episode, my guest and I will discuss how to redeem those parenting failures. Before I introduce Andy Martineau, I want to be clear about my perspective on discipline. It is, first of all, grounded in God's Word. But whether families share my faith or not, I believe they have to determine which discipline approach is right for them. I do think there are challenges that come with extremes in discipline, too hard and too soft. But there is a lot of room between the extremes to find what works for you. Parents who discipline in the middle of the extremes want a strong relationship with their kids because they know their influence is most likely to result in happy, successful kids. Andy Martineau and I share that perspective. We have a different philosophy on correction, but I appreciate that her approach has worked for her and may work for you, especially if you've had a too hard discipline approach. Andy Martineau is a parenting coach who specializes in helping parents raise their kids without yelling, ultimatums, or bribes. Using her Connect Method parenting techniques, she has taught thousands of parents to feel more in control of family life, stress less, get their kids to listen, and more. Here's my conversation with Andy. Andy, thank you so much for joining me here on the Homeschool Sanity Show. I am excited to talk parenting with you. I know my listeners are always interested in parenting topics. But before we jump into that, I would love to have you tell us more about yourself and your family. Oh, well, thanks for having me. First of all, I love talking about parenting and homeschooling. They're two of my favorite things. So it's a perfect combination. Um, I'm a mom of six, a retired nurse that was failing as a parent. I had six kids in eight years. So it was the perfect storm to help me realize how little I knew about children and parenting. And 
Yeah. And so that is, that's the journey. Three kids, uh, three kids, three girls and three boys. It's an even split. Um, and now they're 14 to, to 24. So they're, they're grown up now, but I've loved the adventure of parenting. And when you throw homeschooling in the mix, it even makes you have to look at your parenting even closer. That's what I found. You could not ignore any part of it. So yeah, that's, that's us. And I, I love the work you're doing to help parents that are homeschooling. Such a good thing to have a conversation about and support people. We need it. (laughs) We definitely do. And I mean, I can relate to what you were saying. You know, I'm a, I'm a psychologist by training, but that doesn't mean I knew what I was doing. I didn't know. No. So you have to yeah. learn in the school of hard knocks, right? So, Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so you mentioned that you are a homeschooling family as well. Can you tell us why you chose to homeschool initially? You know, initially I started when my 24 year old was eight and he actually i pulled him out in second grade mid second grade and he never went back he actually kid people think it's crazy but i'm continue to say you can get into college without a high school diploma we have shown that but the reason i did it initially was i just felt that the education i wanted to provide for my kids was slightly different than what was being offered at the schools and I wanted to have the opportunity to bring them all together and to provide more. I I was really into reading and history and I wanted to do it together and have not only the learning, but also the bonding and the connections that I was seeing from some of my newfound friends that I had run into that were homeschooling. Like, that's what I want. I want that. And I was really hesitant at first because I thought, well, how am I going to deal with all of these kids, because I'd almost, I was pregnant with number six when we started. I thought, how am I going to do this with all of these children? <laughs> this is insane. But I, I just thought, I'm going to learn how to be more patient by, and I'm going to learn how to homeschool them just by practicing it. The, there's, I, there's this belief I had at the time that I thought was true, that there were some people that were just born to homeschool or born more patient. And I think to a degree, maybe that's true. I was definitely not that person. <laughs> um, but I was reassured by some really beautiful friends that helped me see, no, you can learn to be more patient if you and, and figure out homeschooling if you just do it. And so all of these things, you know, came together and I thought, okay, I, I had the courage, I had the support, and it just created what I wanted with my family, which was to create a a well-rounded, more classical based education. I did a lot of Charlotte Mason and a little bit, a lot of classical, you know, books, classic books in how we homeschooled. And so I was able to bring those in and have such amazing discussions with my kids and have flexibility too. I wanted flexibility. Um, My oldest by 11 had really gotten into piano. And so we had to restructure our whole life to support him and in, in, uh, his desires to be a classical pianist. And so homeschooling allowed us to do a lot of unique, interesting things. And that's what brought me in, just outside the box thinking, I guess. <laughs> just like, let's do this. This will be really fun. Well, you, you shared so many valuable insights there. And I think just inspiration for potential homeschoolers. Yeah. And I mean, I can absolutely 
relate to what you were saying about patients. I was impatient and so many potential homeschool moms will say, oh, I don't have the patience for that. And it's like, well, how do you think you're going to develop the patience? <laughs> it's by doing it. I love what you said about yeah, practicing exactly. it also. That's, that is just so smart. I love it. Okay. So let's jump into our discussion of how to recover from a parenting failure. But before we do that, I'm hoping you can give us some examples that you have heard from parents oh, yeah. of what they consider to be <laughs> parenting failures. Yeah. I mean, I'll start with a personal one. I felt like when my kids were little, a lot of times the parenting failures looked like me losing control of my own nervous system and emotional regulation and, and yelling. I was a yeller, not proud mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. um, but that was a, that was, that created a lot of shame and a lot of doubt. And what I did that I don't recommend doing is just continuing to beat myself up. It's now so obvious that that will never create what I want never helped me recover from the failure because I'm just triggering my own nervous system basically against myself. It's what I, that's how I like to think of it is almost this self-fulfilling prophecy to create more failure. And so that was, that was, those were my examples was the kids weren't, those kids weren't listening and the house was messy and they were fighting and all of those things. And that's what I hear when I'm working with parents a lot now is, Hey, I, I wanted to show up better. But I, the kids were fighting and I was good for the first two minutes, but then after five minutes, I, I couldn't handle it anymore. Or my son just doesn't clean up his room and I can't handle it and he doesn't respect me. And the back talk is huge when the kids get older, like they're disrespecting me and they don't, you know, they don't know how to be kind and they're being rude. And even though I, the, us as parents, we know that we are the more mature party. It's the failure comes when we cross the line of feeling as though we've matched the emotional level of immaturity that our kids have presented to us. And that feels so awful as a parent. I don't know if you can relate, but it's, <laughs> it's showing up as a, as the parent I can't respect. Like, I don't like mm -hmm. who I was. Mm -hmm. I'm embarrassed. If someone had seen me, I would have, you know, not been proud of, of the way I handled the situation. And that failure is pretty prevalent. And with homeschooling, you don't get a break from your children. They're just there all day long, which is a blessing. I really think mm -hmm. it's more of a blessing than anything else, but it can feel really heavy because you don't get time to, to, relax sometimes. And so it feels like Groundhog's Day. I'm never getting a chance to recover. Um, but then it's just when we fail and mess up and then we add on the shame and the blame and the guilt on top of it, we're just creating a mound of, of emotions that are really hard to get out of, get out from under. So yeah, that's just some, some, examples and thoughts I have just about failure and how real it is and how we're on we're not equipped to know how to recover from it in society. Mm. We don't teach people. How do you actually get over it? Mm, that's yeah. so true. <laughs> Completely agree. 
with you. And yes, I can relate to what you were sharing <laughs> with your personal example. I have spoken about this before. Um, just completely lost my temper. Um, and, you know, that is not even the person that I am today. Um, so very grateful, yeah. <laughs> very grateful. Um, yeah. But I was hoping that you could talk with us about what are some of the patterns that parents get into that can easily lead to these kinds of failure experiences? Mm, such a good question. I know you have thoughts about it too, so I'm excited to go back and forth with it. <laughs> but I'll, one of the themes I will say is thinking that the kids, I, the word should, they should know better or I should know better. Um, we talked about it last night and they said that they wouldn't do this thing anymore, you know? And so these expectations that we have of our children, that when we take a step back, we realize we aren't even able to live by that standard. Like, I know I should go to the gym every day. <laughs> I, I, I can see all the logic. I know that it's going to help me. Do I do it? No, not every day. Not, not, I don't always follow my plan. I sometimes fall off the bandwagon. So it's this thought error that just because someone knows better, that they should be able to do better, that the behavior should always match the understanding. And even though when we pause as parents, we, we can say, oh, I can't even do that. For some reason with children, we want them to do it. And I think it's because it's so uncomfortable for us as parents when they don't mm -hmm. that it just would feel so much better if they would just do what they said. Like my, my nervous system would respond so much better if they would just follow through with doing their schoolwork, waking up when we talked about picking up after themselves. And so it's unrealistic expectations sometimes, not, not understanding that knowing doesn't equal doing. And then also I find a lot of parents just don't understand developmentally what's happening with the brain. And so mm -hmm. they'll say to me, no, my five-year-old, they, they, they totally get it. They, they get that this equal, you know, that if they do this, that this will happen. And I, and I get, I get it because I was there too, <laughs> even though I was a nurse and I knew all of this about, I studied it, you know, I studied a lot of this in school, the disconnect between, Hey, I knew that in school. But it, like, it completely evaporated because I'm like, no, my child's an exception. <laughs> you don't you don't understand. They're brilliant. <laughs> they get this. They're doing this on purpose to me. You know, and so realizing actually their prefrontal cortex isn't really functioning like you think it is. And they can't do cause and effect. They don't understand logic and reason like a human that's 20 or 30. Um, not having that understanding can cause a lot of pain for parents and create failure because we have expectations that don't match the capability of these sweet humans in our life. And then we lose our temper and then we beat ourselves up because we lost our temper. And it's just this, this cycle that we can't quite get out of, but a lot of it's because we don't know the cycle we're in. So we don't even know that we're doing it. We don't understand, but once we start learning, those things that it's really helpful. So those, that's one of the trends. I don't know if you have anything to add to that or something else, another trend. I mean, there's other trends too, but that's one of the 
that's one of the big ones for me that I see. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I think you, you actually said something that um, reminded me um, of another issue and that is um, they're doing this intentionally to me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and we can do that not just with our kids, but with our spouses, with uh, our friends. We think we know what someone is thinking and mm-hmm. uh, we're almost always wrong. And uh, because even, even people themselves don't know why they did something. And so, you know, one of the silliest questions that we can ask our kids when they do something wrong is to say, why did you do that? <laughs> because they don't even know. That all the time. Like, <laughs> right. I mean, I did too. But, but, you know, when we do something foolish, we don't even know why we did it. I mean, we could, we mm-hmm. can take a stab at it. Oh, I was distracted. I was tired. I was bored. You know, who knows? But we probably aren't 100% correct. So I I would just add mm-hmm. to that what you said about um, just not mind reading our kids and assuming that we know why they did something wrong. Yeah, that is such a good point, especially in the heat of the moment, because when we're in an activated nervous system state, our pre, you know, our, our ability to think at a high level goes down because we're in fight or flight mode and our body's like, take all the, you know, all of the things that we you know need to survive and let's put it towards the essential. And that's not the brain, you know, that's like running, mm-hmm. you know? And so even mm-hmm. though we're not literally fighting bears or all those things anymore, <laughs> it feels like that when our mom comes mm-hmm. against us or we feel attacked by our child. And so the capacity to access why they did that is even more challenging for them. They probably don't know in the first place, like you said, but then if they even did know, they might not even be able to access it in that moment. And that's another trend or theme, I guess, is trying to fix it in the moment or trying to problem solve Mm. it or talk a whole bunch about it in the moment when emotions are elevated. And there's like neither the mother, if she's elevated or the child, are going to be able to actually do that in a way that is healthy for the relationship in the moment. So I always say in the moment, do no harm, just do the least amount mm-hmm. possible. So everyone survives and mm-hmm. then give everybody time for their nervous systems to, to, to get back into, you know, that parasympathetic state so that we can actually have our prefrontal cortexes come back on and we can perhaps figure it out. But sometimes it doesn't even matter why they did it. Cause it's that, it's less about that and like what's not working for this child that caused them mm-hmm. to maybe do X, Y, and Z. And so anyway, lots mm-hmm. of ways to think about it. But I love that point. Yeah. Yes. And I asked it way too often when my kids were little, <laughs> thinking that my <laughs> three-year-old would be able to give me a really good answer. <laughs> well, and you know, the funny thing is, even if they gave me an answer that even if it was true, it wouldn't actually make me feel better. Nope. So no. it doesn't... It, it, it's not really a every a very productive question. You are right. Uh, like when my toddler ripped off most of the keys from my brand new laptop. If <laughs> oh he would have been able to articulate why he did that, he would have said it was fun. <laughs> yeah, I liked the clicking <laughs> sound. They all came off. That was so. Yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. <laughs> would not yeah, have I mean, helped. My kids, right? And my kids 
found like a Costco sized bottle of baby powder. I call it the baby, the great baby powder blizzard of 2007 and, and doused, doused our playroom, ruined the DVD player, ruined, which is fine in hindsight. At the time I was devastated because we barely had enough money. We just sprung for it, you know, but like ruined electronics, got it on all this furniture with microfiber kind of material, which just everything clings to it. And there would, there's no good reason that would have satisfied my nervous system to calm down. You know, they're, they're, yeah. we just thought it would be fun to see what happened when we, you know, started puffing the baby powder everywhere. And I thought, you know, there, it didn't help. It didn't help. Right. Yeah. I loved what you said about not, not trying to fix it um, in the moment, not basically acting out when you're in that moment. Um, uh, we're going to talk in a moment, I hope, about, you know, how can we break free from these patterns? I feel like we're we're starting to do that already. But yeah. um, this memory just flashed in my mind of, and it had nothing to do with kids, but a homeschool mom in our group, we were discussing a very controversial event uh, that had happened. And it was obvious that we had a difference of opinion and um, emotions were starting to run pretty high. And I will never forget when one of my friends just said, okay, let's pray. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, it just immediately just brought the temperature down mm-hmm. and made us realize also what we were doing, that we were really, you know, getting ourselves worked yeah. up. Yeah. And so I, I just think that that might be a great strategy for interrupting the cycle of, um, you know, getting ourselves angry, upset and doing or saying something that we will absolutely regret Do you have any other thoughts about how we can break those patterns? So, you know, we maybe, how can we stop expecting too much from our kids Mm -hmm. and how can we interrupt that, that cycle where we're just going to escalate our emotions? Well, how long do we have? I feel like we've been talking about this for five hours. <laughs> how do I distill this down? I always, this is my struggle. It's like, I have so much I want to say about this. Um, I will say that one of the steps that is super helpful is outside of the moment to, to try to understand. Well, we're not activated. This is not the time to do it. But outside of the moment to just get curious about, oh, what are my stories about XYZ. So if you're having trouble, this is one that came up recently with a mom I'm working with. She's a, she homeschools and she said, they just won't come. They just don't come when it's time to start school, which I get because I totally can remember. But it's it's dissecting that and pulling that apart. This is one of the steps, but why am I so triggered? What am I making it mean about them when they don't come? What am mm. I making it mean about me when they don't come? Uh, the stories that we have is about it is crazy. You know, our brains are great at catastrophizing. We're like, they're never going to learn anything and they're going to not get into, you know, college if that's what we want, or they're not going to get a job or they're not going to learn to read if they're little. That's, that was my worry. Oh my gosh. I have to teach my 
three-year-old how to read? What if they don't read? You know, I instantly go there or I make it mean about something terrible about me. I'm such a terrible mom. I shouldn't have done this. This is never going to work. Why? Mm -hmm. You know? And, and so when we can start to understand what am I making this mean about me? What am I making it mean about my child? And then back to what we were talking about, is this even realistic? Am I being graspy or needy? Is my energy off because I'm so needing them to validate my worth by coming to the table when it's time to do schoolwork? So I say step one for me a lot of times is understand what's happening in our brain so that I can begin to decouple some of those stories that are so enmeshed. Like if my worth is so enmeshed with my children doing their homeschool that I can't tolerate the discomfort that happens inside of my body when they don't immediately come running and skipping like Pollyanna to the table, then I, I want to look at that like, oh, that's not going to be helpful because as humans, we have this crazy thing called free will. You know, my little baby, first baby taught me that when I tried to feed him peas, you know, and he was like, no, thank you. And it was very evident that, oh, I have this perception that I can control this human. And he is telling me before he's even one year old that that is not happening and control and manipulation are not going to work. But we sometimes just keep the cycle. No, no, no. I need to control and manipulate. And, and in the best way, with, with really the best intentions, because we want what's best for our children. But when we can start to see, oh, when I am so frustrated before we even start school, because I'm anticipating what's, that they're not going to come, that's never going to create what I want then I can start training my nervous system to have a different story. Like, of course, they're not going to want to come do school. Mm -hmm. That happens to all of us. Mm -hmm. This is, I don't want to always do my things that I need to do that aren't my favorite. I would mm -hmm. much rather sit in front of the TV. That's what my, 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 you know, lower brain wants me to do. So like, it's okay. And it's not to move us into passivity. Cause I actually mm -hmm. think of the opposite happens when I can neutralize my stories and say, it's okay then I get to actually have my higher thinking brain come on in the moment because I practiced ahead of time. It's like running a marathon. I have to practice ahead of time to be ready to run the marathon. Homeschooling is like running the marathon, right? I have to do the prep work before to prepare my brain to say, okay, it's game time. And of course they're going to be resisting and they're probably not going to want to do it. And so my nervous system can feel safe instead of feel on edge or needing to go into fight or flight mode when they don't come. This is huge. And the mm -hmm. cool thing about this thing, this part of the equation is it's something we can do independent of our children. Like they don't have to be around. Like we don't have to wait for them to change. We can start changing ourselves. And when we start changing how we show up in the moment, the, those mirror neurons that they're talking about in psychology, which I love, start sending out the signal of it's safe. Mom's not, you know, on edge. And then our children mm -hmm. can receive that. And it gives them a really good opportunity to match us and to, to be able to have come to the table and do schoolwork from a place of, of safety, mm -hmm. because it's really about our kids feeling safe and not feeling judged. And so that's that's step one. I have other ideas, but I, I want to hear okay. what you think about that and um, thoughts oh, yeah. about it. Yeah. I love that. And I would add to it because I, I have found over the years that people can have 
a difficult time identifying what their story is that they're telling themselves. Yes. And so Mm -hmm. I know that you are already doing this with parents you work with, but one thing that you can do for yourself to kind of identify what your self-talk is around this issue is, you know, just like that, um, that mother said, well, the kids won't um, come to the table when it's time to do school. And that upsets me. Ask yourself why. Uh, So she might say, well, I mean, um, they're supposed to come and do school right away. And then ask yourself why again, why? Well, Mm -hmm. because if they, if they don't, we're going to be so behind and it's, it's going to ruin the whole day. Why? Why would that ruin? And and you're just going to start to challenge I a lot it. of the um, the thoughts and ideas that you have, and um, it can be a lot like having a coach working with you. So that would be mm-hmm. uh, one thing I would add. But go on and and tell us about step two. <laughs> <laughs> no, I well, and I love the why. I I call it like my layers of why. And so I love that you brought that up. It's so good to say like, well, why is this a problem? And why, why do I think they should, I just love it. So everybody do that. If you have a, if you have a triggery thing, that's going to uncover so many stories for you that will relief, relieve you of some of the stress that you're feeling around it. So, okay. So step one, understand your own thinking and your own triggers and your nervous system and try to neutralize as much as possible. Asking the why is so good. And then the second thing I would say that we all do this, like, and when we're homeschooling, you're around your kids all of the time, but really getting intentional about investing in that relationship. And I remember thinking, well, I'm with my kids all day. Like I'm investing in them all day. But what I noticed is most of the time I was either distracted, trying to do multiple things at once. I I wasn't there mm. with the same focus and energy as when they were in trouble. <laughs> if they were in trouble, if they, had out, if they had done something that my brain at the time thought was off track, my phone was down. I was attentive. I was giving them what I call high speed internet, you know, frequency <laughs> as far as connection goes. Like we, we weren't dial up. Most of the, and then I realized most of the day I'm like dial up for those who are old enough. To, I'm old enough to remember the old mm-hmm. modems and it'd make all the rah, 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 rah. Mm-hmm. It took forever. It was spotty. It would kick you off. That was the kind of connection I was giving them most of the day. It was like here or there. I was kind of there, but I was also thinking about the dishes and the laundry and the baby sister and all of the things. And what I noticed was how differently I didn't it usually wasn't positive energy I was giving them in connection when they were in trouble, but it was definitely high speed and it was dialed in. And what I noticed was if I didn't balance that, so if I wasn't giving them that quality of intense focused energy when things were going right, then my kids tended to get, they, they wanted that connection from me. And they're like, well, we get really good high speed connection from mom. They're not thinking this consciously, obviously, but mm-hmm. you know, this is subconscious. Then we'll just keep acting out. But when we can start to balance it and say, how can I give that quality of attention? But even, you know, but with the compassion and the kindness and the understanding that you would, that you would want. Um, so the quality is much higher, but as far as the, the, the speed and the phone, the the distraction-free kind of energy, 
how can I give that intentionally to each of my kids so that the relationship is so strong? It's so strong that they know that even if I have to say to them, this behavior is unacceptable, that they know I'm not saying you're unacceptable. And that requires consistent investment in the relationship. And so I tried different ways of doing that, of doing little tiny segments of time with them, taking them on dates. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter exactly how we do it. It's more how we are being when we're doing little pockets of time with them. So it was sometimes when I was practicing piano, could I be 100% present with them and excited about that? Could I, when, it, when we were reading a book, could I just be present with that child? And then we had group time too, where it was, we would all come mm-hmm. together and read a story that we were reading together. Could I be really present or was I distracted or, or agitated about something that had happened earlier? Could I drop that and just be there with them in that moment? And so the second step I would say, and this is, you know, to, to help get them to want to listen to us, to help, to get them to want to choose us to be their leader because they really get to choose is to connect for connection's sake, not with any ulterior motives, because Mm -hmm. if we have an ulterior motive, then they can feel that too. You know, I just, I'm going to connect with you. We'll play Legos so that you'll go to bed or I'll take you to this place so that you'll do this. That, that doesn't work. That just (laughs) mixes it out. It's like, really I'm connecting with no strings attached and no expectations just being here with you right now. And that's huge. And I have found that for a lot of us, we just, or a lot of the clients I've worked with, when I look back on my life, that that was missing, that intentional focus on really connecting with them in such a high quality, high speed, speed way. And so that's very helpful that we, so that we can build that trust. So that would be the second thing. I don't know if you have any thoughts or comments on that. I'm sure you have lots of wisdom to share from your experience too, or things you've seen, but. Well, I love that advice, of course. And one of the things that I read in, I don't recall, I don't know that it was a homeschooling book per se, but it has always stuck with me. And that is that we cannot mix spending time with our kids and trying to get things done unless we're actually doing the activity with them. You know, that would be different. You know, I'm making dinner with my child, you know, I'm, I'm working with them or I'm, I'm even grocery shopping and we're talking. That's different. It's when I have something I have to do myself and I can't be interrupted. And I think I can just kind of keep going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it will not work. You know, just as you were saying, a child can recognize if you're trying to, you know, spend time with them for a different purpose. They can also recognize when we're spending time with them and trying to count it when we're really just trying to get our own things done. And so checked off. Yeah. Right, right, right. (laughs) Yes. So this author's advice was, Make it a discreet and dedicated time for what you're doing. So I'm spending time with my child and I'm not working. I'm not trying to get my errands done necessarily. (laughs) If I'm having that, that special time with a child, then I do that. And then there is a demarcation there 
where now it is my time to do my work. And I have found that our kids are so much more willing to give us time to do things that we need to do because their little tanks have been filled up with that relationship time. So I, I think that is wonderful, wonderful advice. Thank you. Yeah, it's good. That's great advice from that. Um, whoever, whoever that was, whoever that is, supports this. <laughs> we'll give them credit. We'll give them credit. Whoever they are, we don't know who they are, but they, they get the credit. Um, yeah, of just of uh, of the importance of setting aside different time. And you know, it's so crazy. Um, I go and get my girls from high school, and there, some days we are. I'm present, and that time is so impactful, and I'm not distracted. And other days, I'm just in, I'm there in body, but I'm not, and and it's, and I'm not there as present, you know, we're not singing on the top of our lungs and doing the things we do sometimes. And it's okay to have both. It's just good to know they're very different. Mm -hmm. There's a different outcome from it. And, and we, we have to get the laundry done and get our work done and Mm -hmm. run to this, you know, all those things have to be done, but making time. Oh, it's just, I feel like it returns your investment a hundredfold. It, it oftentimes the, the, uh, object, the objection I get from people is I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. You don't know. My mm-hmm. day is packed. And then we go through and I, we, I say, well, how many times are you having to deal with off-track behavior throughout the day? Oh, hours, <laughs> hours of time. I'm then, okay, well, I don't want you to directly link this, but I have found that there is this crazy correlation that when you start doing this, no strings attached, you're not saying I'm doing this to get them to behave better. But when you start just doing this to do it, there tends to be a significant shift in how much time you're spending dealing with off-track behavior for, for a lot of reasons. But I've never found that those 10, 15 minutes you invest to just really be present with them doesn't give you an hour back every single day. So, mm-hmm. and it for sure feels amazing. So for no other reason, it's like, I feel like I showed up the way I wanted to today, even if it was just for 10 minutes mm-hmm. and the kids don't need 10 hours of that kind of attention. They, they really don't. <laughs> they don't I mean, want it. If you want to give it to them, great, but they really, you know, just, they don't really want it. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. busy. They got their stuff to do, but you know, if you give them 10 or 15 minutes, that goes a long ways and yeah, so powerful. So the third thing is learning how to come when there's conflict because there will be conflict. I know as parents, we hope and pray that there'll be this day where there's just peace and, you know, euphoria at our home, this utopia, but you know, we're all humans, including the parents. And so that's just not going to happen. So learning how to normalize and neutralize all the common things that are going to happen with the kids so that you can choose to stay close and connected when there is off track behavior is so empowering, so empowering for us to be able to show up as we want as a parent to feel like when we lay our head on the pillow at the end of the day, I respect who I showed up as today. I did a good job. And to create safety and and maintain connection when there are problems, because there's going to be problems. There's going to be people who don't want to do things, don't want to do their chores, don't want to do their schoolwork, don't want to get their shoes on. Um, don't want to take a shower. I'm thinking of all the above I heard this week. So many things that they don't want to do. And when we can have, when we have done the work to one, understand what's going on in our own brain, that's essential. We 
we need to do that first. And then we've invested consistently in the relationship. Then we can choose to stay close when there's off track behavior. And if, if it's this triad that we're just continuing to invest in all of these three steps that, that allow us to parent in a way I call it connect method parenting, but parent in a way that's both compassionate and firm. We don't have to choose between the two. Mm-hmm. Some people get so nervous when I say compassionate because they're like, that's passive. They're just going to run all over me. And I'm like, mm, nope, that's not what I'm saying. And they're like, but how can I be firm instead of limit? That's going to be authoritative. And I said, I say to them, when we do these three steps, we can actually parent in this middle way where we can actually hold what feels like opposites, but they're not. They're actually very complementary mm-hmm. when we can get our own nervous system calmed down. And then our kids need limits. Their nervous mm-hmm. system needs limits. They, they need to feel safe. No limits. They feel not very safe. It's going to be trouble. So they need the limits, but they're, they don't need to be done in a punitive way. They really don't because punitive consequences don't change behavior, but it's the, it's, it's the relationship. It's them deciding it's, it's them feeling safe, them feeling like they're, they can process their emotions and their disappointment and all of those things within our, within, within our, um, at our reach within our home, I guess is a great way to say, it. you know, with, with us, that's what changes or awakens their innate goodness. They already know what's right or wrong. They, they, I feel like kids come with this compass. They don't really need to be told too many, maybe once they need to under, if there's something that's confusing, but pretty soon they get it. And so it's less about, they need to learn their lesson or they need to be fixed. It's more, they need to feel safe and supported and guided in a way where they can, they can choose us to be their leader. They can choose to care about what we say and they, they want to listen to us which is very different than getting them to listen to us. We can do that in a lot of ways that aren't healthy, but for them to want to listen to us, that's that's what I that's what my goal is. And and mm-hmm. just because they want to listen to me doesn't mean they'll do everything I say. <laughs> mm-hmm. They still mm-hmm. might not, but but having the conversation with them and feeling that open dialogue with them, especially as they get to be older is if it, it feels so sweet. It's just, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's what you, I think most parents want. They don't want, you know, someone just to follow all their directions. Well, sometimes we do, but (laughs) I think ultimately we know we want them to, to Mm -hmm. be independent people, you know, and make their choices and just to have a good moral compass that guides Mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. towards fulfilling their potential really. Yeah. Yes. I mean, the relationship is key and I, um, I have spoken before about that is the goal of parents who don't want to be too harsh or too um, soft, if you will, um, when it comes to training and mm-hmm. uh, raising children. It's a focus on the relationship, making that primary, because as you were saying, when we have a strong relationship, that is what makes it most likely that our kids are going to make good choices. So I love that. Okay. So let's, let's say that, um, we have made a mistake in our parenting. We lose our minds. Like I did the day that my toddler ripped all the keys off my 
um, laptop or uh, just any number of things. We just know that we messed up. Um, we didn't behave like uh, the parent that we want to be. So how can we redeem that failure? Mm, this is so good. I'm so glad you're circling back kind of, I love this conversation. One, forgive yourself for what you've done. I, I always say to, well, I used to always, I still say it, but this is what started back in the day is you did this in this moment and that was the best you could do in that moment. It didn't mean it was my best I could do it at another moment. I might've mm. had more capacity in another moment, but in that moment, that was the best I could do. Maybe I had lack of sleep. Maybe I was stressed about something that had just, you know, just gotten off the phone call with, with somebody and I was a little bit irritated or agitated because of that, or maybe I wasn't feeling very well, whatever it is, if we can give ourselves grace and compassion, like a scientist would, if they're running an experiment and say, oh, wow, that just happened. Okay. That was the result of all of the events that culminated up to that point. And realize that coming with compassion and curiosity is going to allow us to have the ability to recover, the ability to see what was it? What were the things that were stacked against me that day that prevented me from showing up the way I wanted to? That only comes through compassion and curiosity. When we're beating ourselves up and saying, you shouldn't have done that. How terrible of you. We block that off. And our brain is like, well, let's prove that to be true. <laughs> you shouldn't have done that. Yeah, you're right. And it, you know, that confirmation bias that our brain can go into to confirm our story goes into full effect. Our brains are great at gathering evidence. So we want it to gather evidence that will help us move forward, not prevent us from moving forward. So that is one of the first things that has to happen is really believing that you will be, that, that it's okay. I've heard people say, well, it doesn't feel um, um, safe or honest or um, what's the word? I'm, I'm missing it right now, but there, there's this, this hesitation, like, oh, that's not responsible. That's not what a responsible person would do is to be curious. I have to be hard on myself because if I'm not hard on myself, I won't learn what I need to learn. That's not actually true. And it took me a long time to get this. Like I was, I was a very critical person of myself. And I remember when someone said to me, you, what if you were just gentle with yourself about it? And I remember thinking, I don't know if that's possible. And I don't know if that would be beneficial or helpful for me. You don't know me. Like I have to beat myself up to learn the lesson. Mm. And I, as I said that, I realized, well, that's what I've been doing for a long time and it doesn't seem to be working. So maybe I could try this out. And then the second thing that gave me permission to try it was when someone pointed out that my capacity to be kind and gentle and compassionate to my children was directly correlative to how kind, compassionate, and um, loving I could be to myself. And that tipped it over the edge for me. 
I thought, okay, I, I have a very firm commitment to be kind, compassionate, and, for, and, and caring to my children. And if that is going to be impeded by this negative self-talk I have towards myself, I got to change it. Like, if I am going to have that negative self-talk about them because I have it about me, that's got to shift. And so for whatever reason, the, per, the permission was granted and I started to experiment on it. And I have to say, change comes through the doorway of acceptance. It really does. We have to accept. Now, this isn't condoning. I'm not saying, mm -hmm. oh, you were a great parent last night when you yelled. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, oh, well, that was really interesting that you yelled last night. Let's look into that and figure out what happened so that we don't keep repeating ourselves, doing that over and over and over again. But that it requires permission. And I think a lot of us have been conditioned to think that being hard and critical and mean to ourselves is the way of change. And I just don't find that to be the case. I, I really like that. That hasn't been my experience. And hasn't been the experience of the parents I've had the honor of working with. It's when we crack that open and they finally start being nice to themselves. So recovering from a failure requires being gentle with yourself and believing you did your best in that moment. And then once you've gotten that open, you have to then start to be able, then, then really, then you can start to look at the, at the things that led up to that event and decide from the highest thinking of what, what can I do next time? And also at that point, I usually am able to have, like for me personally and the parents I work with, they're able to go back and genuinely say without any moralizing or, hey, you did this to me, kids. It's very clean. And just apologize. Like, hey guys, I just mm -hmm. want to be 100% honest. I didn't show up the way I wanted to last night. And because we've done the curious, compassionate work, I'm also not under the impression that it was their fault. Like, so that's been cleaned up. So I, it's not that they didn't do stuff. They did, they, they might've done some things, but I'm realizing, oh, is my intolerance to what they did that, that caused me to cross that line. And yeah, it would have been easier if they would have listened better. That would have made my life easier. But the gift in this experience is, oh, I am learning that I only have the capacity to handle this much conflict with the kids or this much of a mess. And I would like to expand that. Not because I don't want the kids to clean up or be kinder to each other, but just because I want to have more capacity to handle whatever comes up with the kids. So then I get to see that. And that helps me recover from the failure and prepare for next time so that I can keep my wits about me, even if the mess is bigger or the fight is louder and feels even more um, daunting, I can go in with more compassion and empathy because I've done that work to say, okay, I, it's safe in my body to feel all of this and I can still go in and not blame them for the discomfort I'm feeling. So those would be the two things is curiosity and compassion, accepting, and then really taking ownership for what part is mine. If I need to apologize, apologize. And then making a plan for next time. I used to write three by five cards. <laughs> I'd say, okay, the kids are fighting. This is my thought about it. They're fighting and it's okay. They're doing their best. What's my thought about me? This is really uncomfortable. I, I can handle this though. And if I'm too triggered, I'd write a little note. If you're too triggered, just do no harm and try to make sure everyone's safe and then walk into the other room. But if you're feeling good, it was a decision tree. It was 
kind of like one of those choose your own adventure novels in a little three by five card. But if you're feeling good, then you can choose this adventure and you can try to get down and look at them in the eyes and see if you can, you know, and, and so I would just, I would play it out ahead of time. Like an actor would play, you know, prepare for the part in a, in a play. And I could see how, okay, this would be easier for me. I'm not quite ready to do this. I need a little more practice here, or I'm going to try this t- next time it happens. And I would actually get myself excited. Not like, hey, I hope they fight tonight, but like, I'm excited for when this mm-hmm. happens to see how I'm able to be. And can I get up a little bit further and then go through the whole process of whatever comes out of that? Keep iterating on that plan. So that was my mm-hmm. little hack that worked really well, actually. And I still do it sometimes when I feel like, oh, this is beyond the scope of what I've prepared for. I'm at, I'm at the PhD <laughs> level now and I'm not there yet. <laughs> I don't have that mastery of my emotions yet. So I better write out myself a cheat card <laughs> so I can remind myself. Because when they, when they go into those moments, my brain turns off. I, I don't have access to the, to the great thoughts I had before, you know, if it's, if it's beyond my capacity. So the little cheat card is so helpful. Sometimes it just says, stop what you're doing. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, stop. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I actually had a yeah. parent say to me, isn't saying you're sorry showing that you're weak? And I know you mm-hmm. completely disagree with it like I do. And actually, that yeah. is the strongest move to make as a parent, um, to be able to say, I made a mistake. I was wrong. I apologize. Will you forgive me? And there is no better way, of course, to teach our kids how to do the very same thing. Um, if we aren't going to be willing to apologize when we have been wrong, why should our children be willing to? So I hope that encourages listeners to, um, do that if they haven't been in the habit of doing it um, before. Okay. Well, this has just been so, so So helpful. So many golden nuggets of wisdom you have scattered through this interview. And I am hoping that you will tell my listeners how they can get more help from you and just tell us what kinds of help you have available for parents. Yes. Oh, thank you for asking. So I've actually written a book called Connect Method Parenting. You can get on Amazon. So that's a great, and you can listen to it on Audible. That's a great first resource that just dive into that. I have a podcast called Connect Method Parenting where I, where I talk about it too. I'm on this mission, kind of like you got to get this out. I've got to share, you know, help, help moms, help parents be the best parent they can be so they can listen there. And then my website is connect method parenting. So they can check me out, check me out there too. And then I'm on all the social stuff, just my name. So Andy Martineau. So I would love people to come engage and learn if it resonated and, and just take this step into believing that connection can do what correction never, never could. And that doesn't mean we, we don't give guidance, but this punitive connection that we tend to, to think is necessary, that connection is so much more powerful and it's safe you don't have to be afraid of it. Some people mm-hmm. are so afraid that it's going to become passive, but it's, it's this beautiful middle way. So thank you for asking. 
Absolutely. And I'm going to put links to your uh, social and your website and your book in the show notes for this episode. Andy, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us today. Christian parents have yet another powerful way to redeem a parenting failure, and that is to take it to God. He not only forgives us, but he empowers us to be Christ-like in our parenting. To find a link to the Kingdom Girls Bible and to Andy's resources, visit the show notes page at homeschoolsanity.com slash parenting failures. Have a happy homeschool week. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I hope something you heard was encouraging. If you have a personal question to follow up, don't hesitate to message me. I'm at Homeschool Sanity on social media. Be sure to check my free resource page at homeschoolsanity.com slash resource and find Sanity Saving Curriculum at fundalearnbooks.com. This has been a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.